All right, you can get out your Bible app now with us, or your physical Bible, if you still carry, wave your, your Bible at me, if you still carry the actual hard copy there, I like it, I like it, praise God, Ra- wave your phone at me if you've got the dig- digital copy, it's, it's always on you, that's great, I love it, it's, it's still the Word of God, and uh, I'm excited to, uh, to, to, to dig into the Word with you today. Um, the other day, this is a message I've been excited about for a while. I've been, for several weeks now, I've been thinking about what, what uh, God's going to do in this message. Uh, the other day, it was several weeks ago, I say the other day kind of loosely, several weeks ago, the family and I were driving down the freeway, and uh, there was cars in front of me that were going slower than I would like to go. So I went into the left lane to, to pass by these cars that are going slower than I wanted to go, but I saw about a quarter mile up the road, there were about three unmarked Sheriff's deputies' cars. So I did not pass with much vigor, right? I, I, I passed reasonably. And so I passed these vehicles, and as we're passing them, a motorcycle comes roaring up behind us. I mean, right, his, his front tire was in the trunk of our car. And he, he was right there, you know, right there. And, and so I fin- I'm like, I'm not going to rush this just for this guy's sake. And so I finish the pass, and as you're supposed to do, I'm going back into the right lane. And as I signal him heading over, that was not fast enough for this motorcycle rider. So he rips into the right lane where I'm about to go and flies past me. And it is fortunate that I actually knew he was there because I would have won that competition going to that lane. And I slammed on my brakes and swerved back into the, back into the left lane. It was scary. So we got into the right lane, and we're like, whew, that was crazy. And he drove around the bend in the freeway. And we come around the bend a couple minutes later, and to my delight and my glee, all three sheriff's cars had pulled over this motorcycle, and our family had a dance party in the car. Yeah! Yeah! I am like Batman. I love justice. And, uh... How many of us have ever been driving and we're like, if only there was a cop right now. I actually had to, got to experience at that moment. It was so beautiful. Um, I love justice, but especially when it's not directed at me. I should, I should probably clarify. I love, I love, uh, I, that was just one of those moments you're like, if I was just a police, you know, if I was in a police car right now, they'd be so sorry. Um, and uh, it, it was just this moment of like, just elation of getting, and, and if that was you, I apologize that I celebrated that so hard, but drive safer, okay? Um, but, uh, but today, we're talking about an important element of relating with one another that's it's present in every single relationship we have. If we have any relationship that has any kind of gravity to it, that actually has any kind of weight to it, it's going to require this, and that's forgiveness. And that's forgiveness. So the question I have to ask, we can start with, is how long has it been since somebody hurt your feelings? How long has it been since somebody betrayed you? Or ripped you off? How long has it been since someone stole from you? Or gossiped about you? Or just plain offended you? For some of us, it's not long at all. Maybe it was since the car ride to the church. But if you live long enough, sooner or later in life, you're going to be hurt by somebody else that you counted as a friend, right? You're going to be hurt or wounded by somebody else that you counted as a friend. But forgiveness, with all the simplicity of what it should be, as a kid you're told, hey, tell Billy you're sorry, I'm sorry, you know, and then you have the little kid hug and it's precious and everybody takes a picture of it. For all the simplicity it should be, it's not that simple. There's a Calvin and Hobbes comic where Calvin is talking to Hobbes and Calvin says to Hobbes, "Um, I feel really bad that I called Susie names and I hurt her feelings. I'm sorry I did it. And Hobbes responds to him, well, maybe you should apologize to her. And Calvin says, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. 
the very simplicity of apology isn't so easy. The very simplicity of, of, of forgiveness isn't as easy as it sounds often. It's, it's contextualized so simply, but really there's complexity. And so um, you might, some of us in this room, as soon as I said we're talking about forgiveness today, maybe you proverbially set your jaw a little bit. Because you said, I know exactly where this message is going to go. You're going to say that the Bible says we have to forgive, and that's the rules, and so we need to suck it up and do it, and with God's strength, we'll just get over it. We need to build a bridge and get over it and forgive someone. Anybody kind of feel like, oh, this is where this is going? I admit, when I hear I'm going to hear a message on forgiveness, I feel like this is where we're going. But let me tell you something. I feel like today's message is going to be a message of hope that we really need. As I studied and I prepared, I realized that there are powerful truths that are going to set a lot of people in this room free. That we've been carrying a long time. And so I believe that God has given me a really special word today uh, because there are assumptions that we make. There's assumptions we make sometimes about even what the Bible says about forgiveness that we carry with us and they actually in and of themselves become burdens. Jesus talks about how the Old Testament law in and of itself became the burden that people carried with them. And sometimes we take assumptions about scripture, we take assumptions about forgiveness, weigh that on ourselves, and it in in itself becomes a burden as well as the actual offense that we took. And so I think there's going to be some real opportunities to be set free this morning, maybe things that are years in the making that God is going to do. So if you have your Bibles with me, open them up to Matthew chapter 18. Or turn on your phone to chapter 18, open the Bible app. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, Jesus is talking and he says, If another believer, and let's pause there real quick, believer slash brother is what it means, sins against you. Sins against you means offends you, trespasses against you, offends you. He says, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. And then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. All right, let's stop here. Now... I have often interpreted this verse, and maybe you're like me, when I've read this, is if you see someone sinning, doing a sin, involved with sin, you need to point that sin out to them, and then if and try to correct them and and start a process of restoration, and if they don't repent, you bring a brother or sister in, and if they still don't repent, you bring them to the church, and it's kind of a general, if you see sin going on, you need to address it, but the NIV, this is kind of how it translates it, it says, if you see someone in sin, but there's an important noun that's missing there, it says in the text, it actually says, sins against you, sins against you. And so there's, there, this is personal. This isn't just general sin. This is a sin against you. It's a personal wound. It's a personal offense you've taken on yourself. And so here Jesus is laying out a game plan of how we should respond in these situations. When we are offended by someone, when we are wounded by someone, here's how you respond. And so he first says, the first thing Jesus says is you're to privately go to this individual and point out the offense. The first thing we can see is this, that forgiveness is not merely the avoidance of a conflict. 
Forgiveness is not merely the avoidance of a conflict. He says you need to go to that person and bring forward the offense that happened. Now, in Proverbs 19.11, I will say that it says this. It says to overlook an offense is to the glory of a man, right? To, to actually say, you know, it's not a big deal. And there are some offenses, if we are in, in, mature enough to handle it and actually truly say, I, I'm not going to even deal, this isn't even a big deal to me. It's not going to be something I remember. I'm not going to recall. Great, move on. But if it's something that when you see their face or you remember their name and that's the thing that comes to mind... If it's one of those things that, 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 that you know is going to be a, a difficulty for you, that this is something that's not just saying, well, forgiveness is I'm going to avoid the conflict, I'll just mentally forgive them, but rather there's sp- supposed to be a time where you bring the offense to the person. You see, there's many hearing my voice that don't like conflict. I am one of those people. Who does not like conflict in here? A lot of us. Who's looking for the conflict? Let's mix it up a little bit. Okay, a few of us, all right. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. But for many of us, we don't like the conflict. We would rather just take the wound, take the offense, and move on in life. But really, that's not the, the prescription that Jesus writes. You see, we don't like to share hard feelings or harsh words with someone else. And so we skirt the issue around the conflict. But the process of forgiveness that Jesus is setting up here is to take us on a path that leads through confrontation. Appropriate confrontation. Do you hear me on that? Jesus is setting up a path that leads us through confrontation, laying everything out squarely on the table, saying, here's where it all, let's put the chips on the table. This is what happened. Being honest, not with the goal of, of, of bringing up a fight, but with the goal of restoration, right? With the goal of saying, I want to restore things. And so I wonder how many times, though, I was thinking about this, how many times in relationships, for those of us that say we're not conflict type people, have there been relationships that have been lost because one party didn't know that they had wounded the other because it was kept silent? Or how many relationships could have been restored just because a difficult conversation was not held that could have been held? You see, when we leave an offense of magnitude unaddressed, we're doing one of two things. We're either saying, A, the wound that I received doesn't matter. It doesn't count. Or two, it's a matter of pride and we're saying, well, now you're dead to me. At a minimum in this area, and I'm going to just carry that anger and that wound and I'll remember it. So, so Jesus talks about this. He says, first you need to bring it to the person, but then he explains how the process continues. He says, if that person hears and they confess, you've won them back. Great. You've, you've restored the relationship. You did it. That's what you're supposed to do. Tell them the wound. See if you can reconcile. Bring it together. If they do, you've won them back. But if not, you're to take it before more witnesses. Basically, bring it to arbitration. Bring it to someone that's a third party and say, hear what's going on. Do you, do, what do you think? Can you bring us together on this? Maybe they're, maybe they're aware of something you're not of. Maybe, maybe there's some other side that you weren't aware of and they can give you insight. But you're supposed to bring in another party, a godly party that can help arbitrate. And if that doesn't work, it escalates to the level of bringing it before the church. And, and, and if they still refuse to let, listen, even bringing it before the church and refuse to, to actually um, confess to, the, to their sin, it, Jesus says you're to treat them as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector so here's what i draw from that that forgiveness is not the same as trust you may be able to forgive that person even after it comes all the way through this process you may be able to say i forgive you but it's not the same as trust you say you may say well i forgave them so now we have to be back to where we started right we have to be back i guess it's not real forgiveness unless i trust them like i used to let's 
Let me just say, if you have to go through all the steps of restoration with a brother and sister and there's no reconciliation, they don't submit to the church's decision and they're, as Jesus says they're to be tre- treated as a corrupt IRS agent. They're supposed to be treated as an outsider. How many of you would just trust some Joe Schmo out on the street? That's how we're supposed to treat those that are not willing to reconcile, Jesus says. So we may be able to forgive, but trust is a different thing. You see, trust is given, but mistrust is earned. Did you catch that? We give people our trust. We give people our trust, but they can break that trust and they earn the mistrust. And so, um, so we need to be careful with what, when forgiveness is not the equivalent of re, re entrusting some, someone with something. It doesn't mean that we return to an unrepentant abuser. It doesn't mean we confide in a person who has repeatedly broken your trust. It doesn't mean you hand your finances to someone who continually steals from you. Jesus says you're to treat them as a cheat, as someone who cannot be trusted. And so, he, it continues on in the story that Jesus is talking and Peter comes to Jesus in verse number 21. And so Peter comes up to him. We're back to Peter. I love Peter. Good guy. He says, it says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So Peter Asked Jesus, should I forgive someone seven times? And he was feeling magnanimous. Do you know why? Old Testament law said, you are to forgive someone who wrongs you up to three times. I'm sorry, we got some lights freaking out. It's not the technician's fault, I promise. There's a weird wire. Um, Jesus says, or the Old Testament says, if someone wrongs you, you are to forgive them up to three times. So when Peter says, Lord, should I forgive someone who wrongs me up to seven times? He's doubled it, plus one. And then Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, you're not supposed to forgive them seven times. I'm sure Peter was going, oh, he's going to tell us three times. And Jesus says, 70 times seven, 490 times, Peter, you should forgive them. And this was a bomb drop. This is, this, this is crazy. There's the three strikes rule from, rule from the Old Testament, right? To quote Michael Scott, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. That's strike three. That's, that, that, this, is, this is ridiculous for Peter to hear. He, so, he said, I'm being crazy, doubling the amount of times the Old Testament law says. And Jesus says 490 times. Have you ever thought about how many times that actually is? And could you do it? I, I was thinking about this. 490 times. I can't even count to 490. And, and Jesus says we're supposed to forgive someone this many times? Literally, I thought, thought at some point, say around like 248, I'd be like, you know what? I'm kind of done. I'm done. You keep doing this. And so, stick with me on this. I've often interpreted this verse as Jesus saying, when someone sins against you, you forgive them. And then they come back and they sin against you again. And you say, I forgive you again. And they come back and they sin against you again. And you say, I forgive you again. And they come back and they sin against you again. And you say, I forgive you again. And he says, you're supposed to do that over and over again. And yeah, that's true. We should forgive as many times as someone needs forgiveness, as impossible as that sounds. But I think there's another perspective here that, that, that we're missing. Because, because this forgiving over and over thing, we can forgive people that return to addiction over and over. Go back, going back to the bottle, going back to gambling, those things. But I think there's another perspective on this verse that we need to get. Jesus, I believe, is not just speaking to forgiving each time someone sins over and over again. But he's talking about forgiving someone over and over for one particular sin. 
for a moment of sin, for an individual sin that wounded you deeply, saying, I forgive you now, and I'm going to forgive you tomorrow, and I'm going to forgive you for that the next day, and the next day, forgiveness continuing on, I forgive you, I forgive you. Um, You see, there's something important here. How many of us have heard the phrase that you should forgive and forget? That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. It would be an incre- it would be wouldn't it be incredible just to say, you know what? I forgive you and it's gone. I forgave them. It's gone. But the truth is forgiveness is not forgetting. And some of us have carried this weight of I need to be able to forget what you did to me because I said I forgive you. And it's been a heavy weight you've carried along with you. In the book of Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25, God says, I, yes I alone, will blot out your sins for my own sake and I will never think of them again. You see, God's forgiveness is perfect and it's complete. God has the capacity to forget our sins no more. He can drop them into the sea of his forgetfulness. I wish I had that power. But I remember. And I, the more I try to think about forgetting, the more I remember it. It's like when someone says, don't think of the color blue. Don't think about it. No matter what you do, don't think of blue. Don't think of it. Don't think of blue. Don't think of the color blue. Uh, The ocean. Don't think of the sky. Don't think of blue. The more you think about it, the more it's there. You just can't will it away. As a matter of fact, there was a lady named Clara Barton. She was the, the, the person that began the Red Cross. And, uh, someone was asking her once in an interview about something that was really offensive that was done to her. And she acted like she had never heard of it. And they said, no, surely you've heard about this. And she said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. (laughs) While we can say it, we still carry it. And so, uh, so, so let me tell you this. Can I tell you this that might be freeing for some of us? Remembering an offense does not mean you have not experienced forgiveness and that it can't continue on 490 times. I still remember, but I still forgive. Um, so, so for those of us with deep wounds, and we try to project God's perfect forgiveness on ourselves and what we should expect, we say, if I'm still remembering what was done, if I still hurt when I think about what was done to me, if I still feel anger and visceral anger when I think about what was done to me, I must not have forgiven them, or I'm living in sin. Can I tell you that those are emotions that are natural, but rather than picking the scab open... This is what Jesus is talking about to say, no, I'm not going to let that bleed and reopen the wound, but I'm choosing to say, I remember, but I still forgive today. Even though I remember, I forgive. And so when Jesus says to forgive against those who have harmed you up to 490 times, this includes waking up each morning saying, I remember what was done and today I forgive and tomorrow I forgive. Because the reality is forgiving doesn't mean that we stop hurting emotionally, right? Deep wounds take a long time to heal. Forgiveness, though, is a step towards that healing because I can say that as we continue to forgive each time, that wound has a chance to close. That wound has a chance to heal. And forgiveness is a step in that healing, affirming that even though I remember, I'm not going to pick that scab open. So when we tell someone we've forgiven them, it's no longer something we can hold over their head. That's the thing. When we say to someone, I've forgiven them, or maybe in in your own personal time, maybe it's not safe to go to that person, but you've decided, you've said, Lord, help me forgive them. I've decided to forgive. It doesn't mean that we can continue to hold it over them. Uh, Marlene Dietrich, who was an actress in the early 1900s, said this. She said, once a woman has forgiven her man, she must reheat his sins for breakfast. (laughs) How many of you have ever had your mistake rehashed then, even though they said, I forgive you? I forgive you, but do you remember... 
Haven't we gone on this? We bring it back up. We, we use it as leverage. And the, the truth is, when we forgive, it can no longer be held on to. When we say we forgive, we let go. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But Jesus continues then in this story with this illustration. This is kind of a long se- segment. Stick with me on this. So Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife and his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. This is how debt was handled in the days. If you couldn't pay it, you would be sold as a slave, and your family was leveraged against it as well. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. And then the master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, and he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Well, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that is what my heavenly father will do to you. If you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is an incredible story. The actual translation of money uh, for the first servant, what he owed the king, would have been astronomical. It says says that he owed him 10,000 talents. To break that down, one talent equals 6,000 denarius. A denarius is what you're paid for a day's wage. So one denarius is a day's wage. So that means one talent is 6,000 days of labor, meaning he owed 60 million days worth of labor to the king. That's 240,000 years of nonstop labor he owed the king. He wasn't paying that back anytime soon. It was basically Jesus used a number that didn't exist, a million bajillion. That's how much money he owed the king. It was an unpayable debt and it was impossible for him to do. But he was forgiven because of the mercy of the king. The king saw where he was at and he extended mercy to him. And and then this, this servant who's forgiven this massive debt. Who Can you imagine the feeling of my family's not going to prison. I'm not going to prison. I'm not going to be a slave. They're not going to be slaves. This just amazing feeling comes over him. And he walks outside and he sees a guy who owes him about, uh, it says... Uh, a thou- what, what the amount was uh, a total of about a hundred denarii or denarius, which is about three months worth of wages. That's not insignificant, right? If someone owed you three months worth of wages, I'd be like, I would really like to get paid. But in comparison to what he had just been forgiven, it's not that much. And he walks up to this guy, he grabs him by the throat and starts choking him for this debt. And then he says, you are going to pay. I'm going to have you thrown in prison until you pay me back. And these other servants see and they respond with, how could he do this after this massive amount he was forgiven? And he's thrown in prison by the king because of this act. But as we think about this, we are so much like this guy. We're so much like this man, aren't we? I mean, Almighty God has forgiven us a debt that we could never pay. 
And we turn around and we refuse to forgive the small offenses that come our way. The, the things that someone says that were like, that just rubbed me the wrong way. Or maybe they, they hurt us in a, a maybe very significant way. But in comparison to the eternal debt that we owe, it's so small. Our problem is, though, I think we like to collect debts. We kind of get a running list of IOUs. We have a ledger of what people have done to wound us and, and the things that we mentally keep uh, logged away. And how many outstanding IOUs do you have? How many do I have? Maybe you're waiting for your chance to get even. Or maybe you're hoping that justice will fall on them while you watch. Hoping the proverbial highway patrol will bring karmic justice on someone. And you'll get to observe it and you go, there you go. That's what I was waiting for. And you get to have your dance party in your car. You see, vindictiveness keeps us from the obedience, though, that God calls us to. God calls us to forgiveness. But bitterness comes in, and bitterness becomes a toxin in our own spirit. It becomes something that actually infects our own heart. Not only that, but then there's a danger to not forgiving in our stance with God. Our, this unforgiving servant is remanded to torture for his unforgiveness. That's a, that's a big warning from Jesus. He's actually remanded to torture for, for his unforgiveness. Refusing to put down our vengeance, refusing to set down our grudges and our hatefulness will actually steal away our joy and peace. It will torture us. While we hold on to it. We will be tortured while we hold on to it. It will steal our joy. It will steal our peace. And for many in this room, I can say I'm with a lot of certainty that unforgiveness has taken root. And it has started to stunt your growth in God. It has held you back from greater things. From moving forward. Maybe you have stopped your, your growth in, in life at a certain point, because an anger has come in and you have stopped there and you say, I will not move forward until this is fixed. Until justice is served, until I see such and such happen. Until they come to me on their hands and knees begging for my forgiveness. And we stop at a certain point and can't move past it. But this morning it's time, I ask you, is it time to lay it down? You see, laying it down doesn't mean it's compromising morality. God promises us justice. God is a just God. God's justice ensures that a murderer will not get away with murder. Or a sex offender will not get away with molestation. But it's our job to let go. The Greek word forgive actually is a theomy, which means to release. It's the same word that was used in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus called Peter and Andrew and they dropped their nets. They aphiamied those nets. They dropped them. They let them go. And they knew those nets were still there, but they walked away. And this morning, maybe it's time for you to walk away, to drop and let it go for the sake of your own soul. There's a story that recently happened about a man named Ricky Jackson. Ricky Jackson, in the 1970s, was accused of a murder he did not commit. And there was a man by the name of Edward Vernon. He was only 12 years old at the time. And he gave a false testimony in court. He was, he was coerced by police officers illegally to make a, a statement in court that he saw Ricky Jackson murder someone. And Ricky, Ricky Jackson hadn't done it. But because of the testimony of this young man, this 12-year-old man, uh, Ricky Jackson went to prison... For 40 years. And he sat in prison for 40 years. Well, through the leadership of this young man, Edwards, pastor in Ohio, 
He realized where he stood and what was wrong, and he, he, he said, I need to make this right. And so the Ohio State uh, Innocence Project came in, and they were able to get a retrial. And, and Edward Vernon actually got to go to the stand and speak truth for the first time. And after 40 years, this, this man, uh, Ricky Jackson, was able to be a free man and walk out of prison and be a free man. And it was an incredible thing. But it wasn't just enough for him to walk, get out of prison. It wasn't just enough for him to have this freedom. But he realized that... He needed to forgive the man whose testimony put him behind bars for the greater part of his life. And so he set up a meeting and when they met, they both embraced and they broke down into tears. Because Jackson admitted that for many years he had hated Vernon. He said, he went on to say that the only way he could move on though is to forgive this man who had done this thing against him. And in forgiving him, he was able to move forward. We might have people that we're able to talk to and say, I forgive you. It may be a situation in which they're no longer, you're no longer able to talk to them for your own safety, maybe because they're dead and gone. But there's a point of forgiveness you need to reach. Here's the story of Vernon and Ricky Jackson. Yes. It was young Vernon's testimony that put Jackson on death row. I could halfway accept my punishment if I was guilty, but screw I said, I'll be with you. I'll support you. He just bust out crying. It's like something just came out of me. The Ohio Innocence Project asked for a new trial. Basically, this listen. Vernon took the stand in a Cleveland courtroom, and this time he told the truth. It's been seven weeks since Jackson, now 57, walked out of court a free man after his murder conviction was overturned. He spent all of his adult life behind bars. This is my living room, dining room, slash bedroom. Today, Jackson's reclaiming his life, studying for his driver's test, signing up for a library card. Not this one. But there was something else he needed to do. I finally forgive the man who put it behind bars. Wow. I took a lot of courage to do what you did, man. Thank you, man. Of course. You were both victims, man. I do forgive you, man. I want to be a person who can tell you that. This morning, you may be in a situation where you're in a prison of your own construction. Not a literal prison. If you're in this room, obviously you're not. But you're in a prison of your own construction because there's been something that has upset you so much that you have set up bars around yourself and and it's actually become your own prison of hate.
things are possible. And I pray for restoration of hearts and souls that have been deeply wounded today. God, I pray that the God of peace would crush Satan and the things that he would want to do. And Lord, that we would have a fresh outlook and a new beginning each day as we lay them at the feet of the cross and hand them to you and say, Lord, I believe that you are a God of justice and I entrust you with these things so that I can live my fullest for you today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, New Life Church. Have a wonderful, blessed week. We will see you next Sunday. God bless.